Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're going to talk about something that when I first heard about the subject, I was just, I guess I would use the word flabbergasted. It's students who get all the way to high school and they don't know how to read. Let me repeat that. It's students who get all the way to high school and they don't know how to read. How does this happen? We don't know. We're going to talk to some experts here. Paul Penniman here, the executive director and founder of Resources for Inner City Children, great nonprofit down in Washington, D.C. Paul, thanks for being on the EdCast. Thanks, Matt. This is very exciting. Now, Paul, uh, this notion of students getting to high school without being able to read, how is this happening and in what context is this allowed to happen? Well, I think, Matt, uh, you have a couple of ingredients in play here. Um, I mean, we could indict the whole system, but you have some kids with learning disabilities, and they'll get into middle school with low reading levels, and they'll be fairly compliant kids, and um, just for showing up, they'll, they'll pass their courses. Their, their teachers will pass them regardless of their, their skill level. And typically in inner-city middle schools, and I can speak specifically about the one feeder school that feeds into Anacostia High School, and that's Kramer Junior High. It's, it can be fairly chaotic in that school. It's really hard for the teachers and staff to maintain order, and a kid can sort of go through and, and get passing grades and make it to high school and really not have too many skills. Is there any catch in the system that, that has someone... Uh, recognize that this is not happening or that, that this could be stopped? Well, I, you know, the, the city is, is aware that, that kids are going to high school with low reading levels. They, they tend to look at, uh, the, the unfortunate part is they tend to look at kids' skill levels in sort of a binary level, whether the kid is at grade level or not, and your, whether you make annual yearly progress, you know, as, as determined by the no child left behind rules, um, is determined by how many kids you know, make grade level. So a kid that's four, five, six, seven, even eight grades behind is sort of put in the same pot uh, politically as the kid who might be just a year or two or three behind. So politically, this, this kid who's way behind doesn't get a lot of attention. Now, uh, DCPS, District of Columbia Public Schools, is trying to change things up at Kramer. They already made all the teachers there reapply for their positions a couple of years ago, but now they're going to try to do uh, a different model next year called blended learning with a lot higher online components. So we'll see if that works, but, you know, every five or 10 or 15 years, someone comes along with a new educational idea, and it, it tends to be scrapped in five or 10 or 15 years. So you know, we're, we're still, we, we don't really know whether it's going to work. Now, Paul, was that the case with, uh, with Michelle Rhee when she came down as chancellor in Washington, D.C., and, and how did that affect uh, this problem that was occurring? Well, I think she really focused on the percentage of kids who were at grade level, and she did hold schools accountable, which is what the federal push was, too. So I think uh, in that sense, um, it, was, it was good that she was able to say, look, you, you, know, you're, you're only, you only have 20% of your kids on grade level. It should be higher. That was fine, but it still didn't really do anything for the kids that we encountered. When we first started working with Anacostia High School uh, a couple of falls ago, we were astonished to find out that there were 10 or 12 kids that the high school faculty wanted us to, to work with who were at first grade reading level or, or lower. 
Wow. Now, now, Paul, let's let's go back to 2003. Now, you talked about the we and what we are doing. The we became Resources for Inner City Children, a nonprofit uh, referred to as Rich in Washington D.C. You founded this, and you're the executive director right now. What was the reasoning for going into education, for founding this, and for doing the work that you're doing? Well, I, I had a cushy life, Matt. I was a private tutor. I tutored a lot of rich kids. I was a math teacher for. 10 years. I was head of the math department at the Edmund Burke School back in the 1980s. Started a tutoring business in 1990 and um, was doing great. A bunch of us were listening to an after-dinner speaker in 2003, and this speaker um, was named Irasima Salcido, who founded the Cesar Chavez Public Charter School in Washington, D.C., and she talked about her childhood and uh, how she was, she was a, a migrant worker in California and the first person in her family to go to college. She ended up getting a graduate degree from Harvard and uh, had five kids and, uh, and then decided to start a, a charter school. And I thought to myself, all these, all these tutors and SAT specialists and private school counselors, all these uh, people in the room listening to her, her talk, uh, who are helping you know, wealthier kids in the D.C. area, we, we all, uh, all go down there and help her school. And that's sort of the model by which we got, we got started. Yeah, it's interesting on your website, it, there's a lot of talk in, in general in the education reform sphere about closing the opportunity gap, closing the achievement gap. Your website talks about closing the education gap. Say more about that. Well, we see, uh, I mean, there are a couple of gaps here. Uh, I actually now have moved to Anacostia, and I see firsthand every day kids who don't really see themselves in a position of opportunity or um, privilege later on in their lives. I mean, Newt Gingrich kind of inartfully uh, mentioned that kids don't see a lot of great role models, but, but they also don't see themselves in a certain position. So there's an opportunity gap, or at least a perception gap. And one of our missions is to take some of these high-promise kids who are still very low income and show them that, hey, you're just as smart as these other kids. You just uh, need to work hard and, uh, you know, with, with the right uh, work ethic. And if we give you a little bit more opportunity than you other, otherwise would have, you can go to an elite college or university as well. Now, looking at uh, the actual work of what Rich does, that tutoring is a main component of it. Can you talk a little bit more about your mission, and then what is the day-to-day operations of the organization? Well, it's uh, a mixture of tutoring kids during their uh, classrooms. Um, uh, sometimes the teacher will say, look, this kid is just can't understand what's going on. Can you pull him out and work with him? And so sometimes we'll work on just the kid's basic skills. Sometimes we'll just work with a kid to catch up in their, their course. Um, the Chavez Schools likes to have us work uh, after school and on Saturdays for those kids who are behind but within shouting distance. You know, they, they're close to grade level but not quite there. So our mission there is to help some of their kids get back up to grade level. But their, their student and parent body at, at a charter school in D.C., and we're practically on parity now between the number of kids who are going to charter schools and the number of kids who are going to neighborhood schools. Charter schools have parents and students who generally have bought into school culture and the belief in themselves. Neighborhood schools, it's a much bigger challenge. You've got a third of the student body uh, achi- achieving truant status at Anacostia High School um, by the winter. You know, halfway through the school year, 15 or more unexcused absences. Wow. The benchmark, and a third of those kids have reached that 
benchmark. So it's a big challenge just getting everybody to buy into school and in, in the belief that they can, they can do it. And so at Anacostia High, the kids who are showing up, we're working with those kids, either the very low readers or some of the uh, high, higher proficient kids who, you know, may go to college, but we're, we're telling them, yes, you're going to, you know, consider college strongly as an option. You really have the potential to do this. And we're uh, giving them SAT courses and we're taking them on college visitation. So we're, we're trying to change their sort of inner culture. You talk about a lot of, of the work that you're doing in Anacostia. Is that the, for people who don't know the D.C. area, is that the mo- the region that needs the most help? And then also, is, is Rich growing, or are they looking to just focus in that area? Well, we've had a lot of internal debate on how much horizontal growth, in other words, to other schools that we want to do. But right now, we really definitely do want to expand at Anacostia High School, which is does have the lowest statistics in any of the neighborhood schools. I mean, I wrote down some numbers uh, before we got on the air. Um, you're going to be roughly 200 freshmen coming in, and only a handful of those kids live with both bio- biological parents. Uh, 180 out of 200 uh, qualify for free or reduced price lunch. And the median reading grade level for these kids is fourth or fifth grade. This is a really serious situation, and we'd like to help them as, as much as possible, and that's really our focus right now. Paul, you talked about living this sort of cushy life as a private tutor for the wealthy and the elite in, in Washington, D.C. Um, what has the experience been like to kind of do, go, do a 180 and to be a tutor for some of, the, some of the poorest and some of the disadvantaged students in D.C.? And then what are the differences in the tutoring process? Well, it's funny, every now and then the worlds collide, uh, uh, like George Costanza. I was taking a couple of kids to a baseball game, and um, we were sitting in the 25th row, uh, a couple of low-income kids. And I, I like to sneak down, and, and if, if you, the usher will, will let me go in if I have a couple of kids later in the game. Yeah. And uh, one of my wealthier students uh, from, from long ago came by, and, and he was sitting in the first row. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, kids are kids. They are remarkably similar, and it's really rewarding to realize that uh, kids of any background can do the work. Just, just to prove it to myself, every summer uh, we pick eight uh, freshmen or sophomores to do a summer math program, and I pick four chapters out of uh, Richard Brown's pre-calculus book. If anybody knows Richard Brown, he's a, a preeminent math textbook author. And we do four pre-calculus chapters in four weeks in this summer uh, math class and just to prove to these kids, hey, yeah, you can do this. You're smart enough. Paul, tell me about the results. The organization's been around since 2003 and, and seeing some of the students that you're working with go into college, I'm assuming must be super rewarding and, and awesome. It makes everything worthwhile. Talk about some of the wonderful takeaways from your work. Uh, well, thanks. You know, sometimes we, we dwell so often on, on negative outcomes. Every year we have uh, kids die or drop out of school. And, you know, when graduation is the most fun time of year. Uh, just thinking about uh, some of the kids who have made it to high school, that we, uh, high school graduation that we weren't sure about. But also uh, having a hand in uh, nominating kids for scholarships. There's a, a great foundation called the Posse Foundation. Oh yeah, we uh, is that with Deborah Beal? Right. Yeah, that we've actually interviewed her on the show. She's an HGSC alum. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I get to I have the privilege of nominating uh, young men and women for that posse scholarship. And when one of our kids gets that scholarship or any scholarship, um, 
it's it's just priceless. Uh, you just can't put a, a price tag on it. And in fact, earlier today, I was just booking uh, plane tickets to go down south to visit a couple of our alums who, you know, were on that edge, on that margin, who, you know, might have gone to college, but we, we were able to give them that extra push, and they're succeeding at, at you know good colleges. And it's great to be able to visit them and stay in touch. Uh, Paul, there's a lot of education nonprofits and organizations around there in the country, some more well-known and some doing awesome work and are just lesser known. Um, what is your pitch right now for people to go to resourcesforinnercitychildren.org, to go to the website? What is your pitch for people to choose your organization to support and, and to look at and to, and to examine and to support? Well, I think basically the big difference with us, and, you know, we're not small by design. This is really only my third year of spending all my attention on, on the project. But the big difference with us is we hire experienced teachers. Um, our average experience level is 20 years. And we're a great complement to the young teachers who are just starting out teaching high school. And uh, these teachers know how to diagnose kids. They can tell if a kid needs, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And I can trust them completely with our kids. Uh, they, do, they do great work. And we actually pay them a little bit. We don't hire a lot of volunteers. So we're a slightly different model. But I think if you ask any of our partner schools, as well as some of the principals who left and, and wanted us to come with them to their new schools, um, we do make a big difference. So I appreciate the opportunity for a plug. Paul, last question. This is pr definitely the least important question. Is uh, uh, the Nationals going to be in the World Series against the Red Sox this year? Well, I was just bemoaning the fact that they might go in as the number one seed and have all this pressure on themselves. I definitely think they'll, they'll be in the playoffs. Uh, if they get to the World Series, I think the pressure might be off a little bit, but I'm, I'm worried about that first round. But I still can't believe they, they have a winning team. I, I think uh, you know, the world has spinned off its axis. <laughs> You know, worlds are colliding or spinning off axes. Paul Penniman, executive director and founder of Resources for Inner City Children. Rich, the website is resourcesforinnercitychildren.org. Just Google it. Paul, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing in Anacostia and the work that you're doing in the education sector. Thanks, Matt, for the opportunity. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.